Yuck. Why? Hello? Hello, John. How are you today? Hey, Dan Benjamin. Shamalama. How's everything going up there? Uh, well, uh, let me just, let me just think about that for a second. Yeah. Uh, things are, things are good, Dan. Things are good. A little, a little weird. How about about down there in, in Texas? I mean, other than like the ridiculous covid situation everything is seems fine i guess the, yeah it's kind of it is kind of ridiculous that covid situation you know what i'm saying stupid yeah 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 a lot of people a lot of people sick still getting sick all the time we uh we've had to we've had to re-quarantine a couple of times uh-huh, yeah recently um because uh we were we went to a halloween event uh, with a couple of little girls that we were, you know, w- we were in a bubble with. Right. And, um, and one of them had a cold and was uh, like and coughing on the buffet. Oh. And I said. No. I said, what's going on with your cold, little girl? <laughs> and her <laughs> father said, her father, who's a friend of mine, was like, oh, well, she she it's just a little sniffle she picked it up uh when she was playing with our old friends so and so and i was like well if she could have a cold then she could have covid-19 yeah because if they were if they had a cold they must have gotten the cold somewhere somewhere you obviously don't know about uh huh yeah and because colds, like I haven't had a cold in a year and it's been amazing. Not a single cold because you don't just get colds, do you, Dan? They're not just like floating around. You get them from other people. You get them from people. You get them from, get them from people when they sneeze and they, uh, they wipe their nose with their hand and then they shake your hand with it and all the other things that people do. Mm-hmm. And so we had to retract. We had to stop seeing our friends. Mm. And and uh, that's happened several times in the in the last nine months, where we'd have a good situation and and uh, there'd be kids to play with, and we'd have a little like camp, and then it turns out, oh wait a minute, you're not taking it as seriously as we are. <laughs> Back to the drawing board, because all it takes is one person that doesn't take it seriously. Another guy that's working on my house came down with uh, with COVID this week got guy that was tiling my bathroom and got so he's him. he's in he's in your house hmm. in your in house. my house i know him i've seen him you know as soon as i found out he had COVID, i had to do that like oh shit when was the last time i saw him when was the last time i was in the house at the same time that he was and you know it's not it's not so cut and dried that i'm like not a little bit checking my temperature you know a little bit of just like now wait a minute was i was i in the same room with him within the last 20 days like it's entirely possible uh he's not one of the main guys that i interact with but it's one of those things where i'm talking to a guy we're all wearing masks we're all standing six feet apart but like did he on his way from one room to the other brush past me right 
probably no. Probably I'm I'm super on top of that. But anyway, not. I mean, so, it's not what you want to learn about the person who's been in your house for a while. No, no. And you know, it's not. It's not like. Um, it's not like you can get it from doorknobs, but you don't. I, you can get it from somebody's kid sneezing on the on your kid. Yes, which is which is the real problem. But yeah, other than um, other than that, because we're we're all we've got Thanksgiving coming up. The the state of Washington is saying don't celebrate Thanksgiving, right? But we're all going to go get tested you know, five days before Thanksgiving and then we're going to see nobody of any kind and we're going to all drive up to Bellingham and have Thanksgiving and we'll just, we'll see how it's going to go. You know, Ken Jennings usually comes over here every week and he's been in Los Angeles for several weeks now doing uh, game show business. Right. And he's flying back and was like, we got to, you know, get in the studio and do some stuff. And I was like, no, no, you're getting off an airplane. You've been in California uh, touching who knows who. Yeah, he definitely should quarantine or test or both. Yeah, right. So, so yeah, I got to not, I got to not do it. So will you just will you guys do it remotely, or are you just not doing the show, or what? You got to do the show. You can't not do the show. Well, we've see. Uh, I have two shows that I uh, have an enormous backlog of episodes. Oh, okay, yeah. Both Friendly Fire and Omnibus, we have already recorded episodes that air that will air in January. Mm-hmm. And then two shows, Roadwork and Roderick on the Line, where I where there's zero back catalog we live right we on the rec- edge we're re- like we're we ready to go record every week and if we're if for any reason we can't then the show just doesn't air right so that's it's two different it's two different mentalities two different concepts but it's interesting that uh, that i have four shows but but only two methodologies ken does not we have never Maybe one time when I was in Hawaii, we tried to record a show remotely, but but uh, we prefer to do it in person. I think Ken prefers to do it in person. I assumed we would do it remotely, even though we both live in Seattle. But he was like, "No, no, no, we have to be there," and it really does. Uh, it you know, makes a huge difference when you can look at the person across the table. Uh, I'm and I'm not sure. I'm not sure if that's if that's audible to the to people because of course we're making a lot of gestures and looking at each other. It's it's interesting that we look at each other almost the entire time. Really really just talking to each other right into one another's just like we're sitting across a table. Yeah. And I think omnibus is so dense with information that if you weren't doing that There'd be a tendency, I think, just to sit and and read your notes. You know what I mean? Like, oh right, if, they, if the other look- person wasn't sitting across from you, you could. You're saying that you could find that you you would just get really into the notes and read from those and not engage with Ken in yeah. the same organic way. That's right. I mean, I would just have I would have notes because right now 
my notes are on a piece of paper and his are too. We write them out longhand. And if, uh, if he wasn't in the room, I would just be, yeah, basically <laughs> looking at the internet right? and, re- <laughs> you know, like, oh, well in 1776, Ken, uh, so it's, it's, uh, so, you know, the notes that we, we write have to be in a kind of shorthand because all you can do is kind of glance down at them. So it, it ends up being the kinds of notes I used to take in college, which is just like, I just write down the dates, basically the dates and people's full names. And, you know, I'll, my notes often have little arrows where it's like, oh yeah, well this, you know, this country is the one that turned into this country, you know, that type of thing where you, you're drawing little, little, uh, pathways mm-hmm. through your notes. You circle a thing and then you put a little thing over here. So, so, uh, so yeah, I'm not in any big hurry to, to record that show remotely. I think it would change the dynamic. It might not be good. Yeah, that's the thing. This might not be good now, but it might not be, it might really not be good if we did it that way. Yeah. I mean, it would definitely would change the dynamic. I remember the few times that I like, I recorded with Merlin in person it felt like a very, for him, for him, for me, it, it didn't matter, but for him, it was obvious that it like, it really changed the dynamic of the show for him. And I think the show was different, mm-hmm. um, as a result of that, it was fun, but it was different. And mm-hmm. it's weird because I remember back in the, in the olden times when podcasting was still new, I'm talking back in maybe 2008, um, and I'd been podcasting for a couple of years, but 2008 is when I went full time and people used to assume because I put a lot of time into the audio quality into making the audio quality great. And I would do double ender and other things like that. Many times people would come up and they just assumed that me and my, whoever I was co-hosting with would just assume we were in the same room. We were in, of course, we we're sitting across the desk from each other. And now the opposite sure. is true. It's always assumed that that's not the case. So when you find out that like you and Ken actually are sitting there looking at each other, like that, that's the outlier now. Yeah. I, I'm just sitting here thinking, Dan, you and I, of all the people I've podcasted with, you and I are the only ones who have never done a show together. Never done a show in, in person. Room. I do it every year with Merlin friendly fire. We've done a lot of shows in person for, for the first two years, I think Adam was always in the room with me and it was just Ben that was remote and Ben, you know, would come up or we would do them. We've done them live, but you and I, Dan never have done road work. Road work is really the, the niche podcast of my podcast empire. I don't know if you have any podcasts that are more niche than road work. None. Your podcast empire is, is all professional, right? Mm, it's professionalism. Mm, mm, mm-hmm. You don't have a lot of bullshitting podcasts. Not enough. I'm, I mean, I want even some. the one with Merlin. Even even the one with Merlin. Although you guys bullshit a lot, you also talk about note taking apps. <laughs> yes, that hap- that does happen. Yeah, right. We never do. And you know the weird you know, thing never... is that that like we we live very very close to each other, and like I could literally just walk over there and, and record with you, but we just don't want to do it. Yeah, right. Well, I mean. No, we don't. No. I don't want to, I don't want you around my kids. No, why who would? No. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, but you know, and that's that's the thing that I um 
that I love. I always love any time that I could do something in person. I would always choose that. I, I, I think what you and Ken have is better because of it. And I think you can do a lot by, you know, the other person's the facial expressions and seeing, see, there's so much about communication that happens in a nonverbal way that you just don't pick up or even, and I know a lot of people back in, in the day, a lot of the time I, even though we weren't doing video, I did video on some of the shows back in the stone ages, but most of the time we would still do Skype video so that we could see the other person, even though we were just releasing it as audio because of that, those kind of nuances. And I think because we weren't really used to doing something like that without the visual stuff. Right. You know, and like, I've always heard like when a lot of the time when people will do interviews, like I used to listen to a lot of NPR and a lot of NPR interviews back before there was podcasting. And it shocked me to find out that that was actually often the same thing that happened in like a professional broadcast studio, that if you were going to be interviewed for NPR, you might go to your local NPR like affiliate and sit down in their station, in their broadcast station and be interviewed. And you just be there in a, in a room alone talking into a microphone with, with headphones on. And I, I think they were using phones to do it back in those days. So the person that was interviewing you would have called, they would be wired in through the board, but they'd be calling you on the phone and you just hear their voice. I, I was always astounded that that was how a lot of the time they conducted things. It just sounded so good. You just assume, well, if it sounds good and they sound like they're in the same room, they must be. Yeah. Do you think anyone yeah, in our I, audience is surprised to learn that we're not sitting across from each other? Do you think there's anyone no. surprised about them? No, we refer to the fact that we're, we're distant from one another and also but no one I pays any I've, attention about no one cares. Oh, well, well, who knows? Who knows who listens to roadwork? I honestly cannot know deep in my heart. I do not know who listens to roadwork. Yeah. You know, in a way that other, other shows, I feel like I have a better sense. I, the thing is that roadwork is what spawned the, um, the Facebook page, Gary's van, which is a very interesting community of people. There are a lot of people on Gary's van now that have come from other shows because it has, it's grown somewhat organically there. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, Gary's van isn't even a reference to road work, but I think I, I think I mentioned the idea of it here for the first time, but, but yeah, it's a, it's a smaller community. I, I had a conversation with someone last night via text and I know I've talked about this before, but, but my relationship to texting is something I really need to, to address because I, as I've said, I prefer texting. I prefer to text. I prefer it to talking on the phone. I prefer it to FaceTiming. I prefer it to, in a lot of ways, I prefer it to being in a room with someone. I really like to text. I think I'm great at it. I think that it's the best. I think it's the best way. And if texting isn't possible, I think emailing is just as good. Or, you know, maybe emailing is even better. But I, I remember when, when I was on tour a lot, and there's a lot of demand for interviews when you're on tour. And unfortunately, I would say 85% of the interviews you do on tour you get on the phone with a reporter who is a, you know, a rock journalist of some kind. 
you talk for 30 minutes or an hour. It's a great conversation a lot of the time. You enjoy the rapport. And then when you get to the town and you open up the local alternative paper, the article that they wrote about you, you realize that they had 350 words allotted to them by the editor. And so the article is, the long winners are playing tonight at so-and-so-and-so-and-so. John Roderick says, come to the show. And then like two other comments, it's sparkly indie pop that they got from the bio. And you're like, why did I talk to this person for an hour? I thought at the end of that article that they were going to write a, a feature, like a big piece. Right. Because the was conversation just, was, was just so, a little quote, just like a single quote or something. Yeah. And often it was, it was a misquote. And often it, it was always like, a misquote. They, it's always a misquote. You know, I've been interviewed for the, very, very, very few publications. And, and when I've been interviewed, it's never been for something controversial of any kind. I've never been correctly quoted. It's not like it's, yeah. well, there was one, it's, it's never been right. It's never been right. No matter how simple or straightforward it is, no matter what they're asking, it's never, it's always misquoted and it's always wrong or out of context. Yeah. The, and and, and so often mi mispunctuated, which is the worst kind of misquote because it's not even <laughs> a misquote. They just spelled a word wrong or they punctuated it wrong in a way that makes you, the interviewer, look like an idiot. Dumb, because yeah. You, because it's your quote where you use the wrong your or you, <laughs> or the, you know, the comma, the, the, the misplaced comma changes the entire meaning of the sentence and it makes you sound like a dumbass. So when, when I first, and I, re, I remember it on tour and I don't know exactly, I don't know what the publication was, but but somebody that, that's because th those interviews are set up by a chain of people and always come from the label, but they had talked to somebody else and somebody else. And I would often sit in the van driving across somewhere and talking on my little, you know, my little LG <laughs> cell phone, flip phone, uh, sitting in the back of the van. And, and finally somebody said, well, you know, I'll email you some questions and it was like a revelation because I could sit and answer all their questions in long form and make sure that my spelling and punctuation and word choice was perfect. And they didn't, they didn't get to transcribe all the ums because that's also my favorite where you're quoted in a publication and they transcribe the <laughs> transcribe the ums. I know. Um, or, or, uh, or when they, when you start a sentence, just kind of like I've done now, you start a sentence there's an ellipses, you change your direction of thought, you put an aside in there, and then you finish the sentence somewhere else, and it's, you know, it's kind of rambling and and without, you know, without a clear direction, you have you know in there. And then the people that take the pains, this is still a sentence, by the way. I've ne I've never <laughs> put a period at the end of this. The people that take the pains to to transcribe that entire mess and don't take the, you know, take the grain of a quote out of the middle of it. That just used to drive me crazy. Like this is a, this is a story about a rock band. This is still the same sentence. This is, this is an article about a rock band. You're not transcribing Henry Kissinger as he responds to your quote about the, uh, you know, the Christmas bombings. 
you're just trying to talk about a band. So many of those journalists took themselves so seriously as journalists. We would like to say thanks very much to our sponsor today. It is SaneBox. Do you get too much email? SaneBox is for you. It moves unimportant emails out of the inbox into a separate folder and summarizes them in a digest. That way you only have important emails in your inbox and you can process everything else whenever it's convenient to you. It works on top of your existing setup. That's is very cool. And this is the important part. You don't have to change your habits by creating a new burner account or downloading a new app. Sanebox just makes your existing one awesome. And it works everywhere. It'll work on any email provider, with any client, with any device. And here's what you're going to be asking yourself is, how does Sanebox know what's important? Well, it analyzes your past behavior, which emails you open, which you respond to, how quickly, how often, etc. And it determines the importance of incoming emails based on your behavior. Uh, but of course, they care about your privacy. That's your next question, right? It never looks at the content of your email. It only looks at the headers. This is the same information that pretty much every email server in the world is looking at when you send your email anyway. Uh, and they don't, they don't read the content. And they also have a lot of other features. They have one-click unsubscribe for newsletters. They could let you snooze non-urgent emails. You can move attachments to the cloud. They've got follow-up reminders, tons and tons of stuff. And they let you literally file stuff that you never want to see into a black hole, and it will never come back from it. This is a huge time saver from lists that I don't want to be on anymore or I never should have been on in the first place. It, it's so, so handy. And the last thing I want to tell you about, guys about is it has something called Sane Reminders. This automatically reminds you when you need to do a follow-up email. So you can go through this entire process of, of communicating with someone, and then you get a reminder that says, hey, don't forget, you need to email this person back. It's so handy. I love it. We have an exclusive link for y'all. It will automatically give you a $25 credit applied to your account on top of their 14-day free trial. You don't even need a coupon code. You just go to sane, S-A-N-E, sanebox.com slash roadwork. One more time, sanebox.com slash roadwork. Go check it out. It's a great company, and it really is a lifesaver. So uh, thanks very much to Sanebox for making this show possible. But the the best one of those was I... Be best slash in some ways worst, but there was a woman who was trying to make her name as a writer and she'd gotten, she'd gotten, um, the gig to interview me for the believer, which was, you know, a kind of a smart McSweeney McSweeney's orbit, uh, magazine about culture and art and everybody in there was smart and it was, they were beautiful magazines. It was, um, you know, it was an honor to be interviewed for the believer. Sure. And she interviewed me at length and she was obviously a big long winners fan. And we had a wide ranging conversation and then she sent me the transcript and she said, here's the transcript. If you want to make sure that I got it, you know, that I quoted you correctly. And so here's this transcript and it's, you know, and it's a raw transcript, messy. Mm -hmm. And I went through and edited it, not just for clarity, but for content. Okay. Like I punched up the jokes a little bit mm -hmm. and the, the places where I had gone, you know, off on a tangent, I just, 
took them out. You just brought it back a little bit. I brought it back. And in some cases, like I changed her question to be the question that I wanted her to have asked (laughs) and then answered that instead of, you know, like, because a lot of the time somebody answers a question and you take a while to kind of in your answer to get over to where it's the question that you want to answer. Um, and so I sent this back to her and was like, oh, I made some changes just for clarity. And she read it and she was like, wow, that's, you know, great. I, I love it. And I was like, oh, well, if you like that, why don't I take one more pass at it? Mm-hmm. And I went over it again and I just, you know, I basically like wrote our interview. The, the um, questions you wanted to be asked and the answers you wanted to give. Yeah. And just... And made them you, interv- all... you interviewed yourself is what is what you're saying. I mean, and, you know, based on her, <laughs> based on her interview, based on this hour or two conversation we had at Top Pot Donuts on the on uh, on Capitol Hill, um, and so when I when I sent it back to her, you know, I had cleaned it up in a way where I finally, for the first time, felt like, oh man, I nailed it, right? Because the the first ever article about the long winters was, um, in some ways it was my dream come true. I'd been interviewed by the, by the music editor of the stranger, the, at the time Seattle's like alternative weekly, but also like the cultural center of the world I lived in. The stranger was everybody that uh, everybody I knew read every page of the stranger every week we waited for it to come out. You, you, you died a little if they didn't mention your band. If they did mention your band somewhere, anywhere, you soared. Uh, you looked for your friends. You know, I have, I, I, I have an archive of probably five years of, of strangers in the basement in boxes. And these are large format newspapers. And those five years, like, pretty much on every page there would be some there would be something on that page that i had done or seen or participated in mm-hmm. or involved a friend of mine and so the music editor of the stranger interviewed me about my at that, at that moment unreleased debut album and we talked for hours and he wrote this incredibly long and weird, <laughs> boring, too much information about stuff that didn't matter. You know, he interviewed, I started because I'd never been interviewed before. And here was the music editor, the stranger sitting across the table from me. And he was like, tell me about your childhood. And I was like, well, I was born on a dark and stormy night. And I talked about elementary school. And I, I talked about all this stuff that I've talked about on these podcasts for a decade. Yeah. Because I, it was all pent up. I needed to get it all out. Sure. And he didn't, weirdly, didn't edit it for content. And weirdly, didn't really, we didn't talk about the music that much. We talked about my mom. We talked about, you know, just like, and I wasn't practiced at it. So I, so I just sort of talked, I talked to him as though, it, I was on the second date with a girl that I liked and was nervous with 
and I was telling her my life story, mm-hmm. but in a way that, um, in a way where I wasn't comfortable, you know, I was telling her my life story, but I was too nervous. And so I was just sort of like, and then, and then, you know, it was weird because of, and he published every note of it. It, the, uh, the, the article is five pages long or something. And so, and the, and one of, and the, the front page of it is an, uh, a picture of my face <laughs> that is like the, the entire page. It's a thing I had never seen in the street. And it was a thing where the day it came out, I walked down the street and people turned their heads and looked at me because they had seen my face in the stranger. And that was, that was at the time, I think as big as any of us thought you could get, but the article was, was, was an embarrassment, you know, in a way it was, it was embarrassing. It wasn't cool. I hadn't, I hadn't, um, it was a perfect storm of, of like, that's not how it's done. That interview wasn't how it was typically done. The way he wrote the article is not how it was done. And the, and the stuff that I said is just, isn't how it's done. I should have been cool. I should have said like, yeah, well, you know, music just comes from the soul and you know, you just, it just falls out of you like blood and guts. And then you play the guitar and <laughs> smoke a cigarette and then you have some sex. And, blah. and instead I was like, the thing about being a child is that a child has a heart that something's, <laughs> you know, just like what? <laughs> and the, the strangest thing, I think that night or maybe the next morning I was sitting at home and the phone rang the wall phone, you know, and I picked it up off of its cradle. No, no, no. It was at night. It was late at night. I picked up the phone and a voice on the other end drunken voice said too much information man and (laughs) hung up (laughs) and this was somebody that this is somebody that had my phone number yeah did you did you know them well i mean i have a short list of who who it was yeah but you know there are a lot of people in my life then in particular who drunkenly would say too much information, man. And it would, they'd be indistinguishable from one another, you know, like was that Garrett? Was that, you uh-huh. know, like who it could, it could have been five people and it could have been, and I think it might've been Brent. Um, but they had to have been a, a drunk at that time and mm-hmm. B someone that it mattered that much to them because there were a lot of people in my world who were in bands who desperately wanted to have an article about them, them in the stranger. They were envious that it had happened to me and they were already mad at me cause I quit drinking at the time only, uh, what four four years before? I mean, there were a lot of people in Seattle at that point that knew me when I was a drunk, and still knew me, and they were still drunks, and I wasn't anymore. Oh yeah, I don't know. And it was it was a it was like a strange curse, right? It was like somebody had called me to put a uh, like a Roma curse on me <laughs> in the middle of the night, and it. 
if there's anything, I mean, there's so many things I would do differently about the time I was in the band and the way I approached publicity. But if I could go back and change that initial article, because it's the type of thing that I would have pointed people to my whole career. Like, oh, just go read the article in The Stranger, you know, that came out around my first record, and that'll tell you kind of the history of the band and everything you need to know. But I was immediately, and I haven't read it since 19, well, since I guess it came out in 2000, 2001 maybe, 2001. I haven't read it since then because I was so horrified by it when it came out. I remember grabbing the paper and going to a cafe and opening it up and being shocked by my picture and then starting to read the article. And like right away I was like, oh, no, what is this about? Oh, no, 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 this isn't, no, not this. So I haven't read it since. But you would think in the 20 years since then, you know, I would have either reconciled myself to it or, um, but it was, the article was greeted by everyone that I knew, including my mom as like, oh yeah, well, that was, that's nice. A big article. Mm. So, so I love to. I love to email and to text Dan because I can be assured that the words oh, yes. are exactly what I mean. And there's no there's no room for someone else to make an error in transcription. Mm-hmm. But the problem is, of course, that there the error in transcription is the error in transcription was in the house the entire time, right? It's in their mind is the error in transcription and is in my mind too. So I send a text and I'm like, couldn't be clearer, but that's not how it's received at all. Mm-hmm. The text is received in a different way. I sent a text to a friend two nights ago where I kind of, you know, in two spare and elegant sentences really broke down like a whole issue in her life right now. And, you know, and the sort of scope of the problem and, and, uh, and she didn't reply. And that's not unusual in our text conversations that one of us would not reply, but then two days go by and no reply. And so, then I'm like, did I, did I say it wrong Mm. or was the fact that I was saying it at all Mm. wrong Mm -hmm. or did I say it so right that she's swimming in, um, all the thoughts that it, that it engendered and she's, you know, trying to figure out how to reply or did I say it right, but it was wrong for me to say it so that she's chagrined at me having said the thing? Okay, well, let me, let, let's take a step back for a second because I want to really analyze this. If All right. When you are texting in general or with this person, but in general, do you... 
are the texts that you send because you just mentioned that the person it might it they might not reply or might not reply right away. Do you treat or think of a message interaction as like a real time thing, or is it more I said something? When they want to reply, they'll say something back. Or do you think of it more like a phone call that's happening over text where you say something and the expectation is that the other person is going to listen and or respond right away? Well, so so that's another thing confusing about text because it's all of those, right? You're in it. You, you text somebody and you're like, hey, what's up? And they write back immediately. Hey. And you're like, great. Ba-da-ba-da. And they're like, ha, ha, ha. Boop, boop, boop. And then you say, ba-ba-da-ba-da. And then and it's like, whoa, what happened? Well, they're making dinner or something, you know, they're in the car. But on your end, you're like, did I just, did I just fuck up? And then when they, when they finally get back to ground, uh, when dinner's over or they get to where they're going, they're on to something else at that point. They're not just sitting and playing with you. And so they send a kind of perfunctory like, oh, hey, well, anyway, you know, talk to you later or, or they don't. And you just kind of don't, you, you never know. You never know. It's the rare person that says, hey, I'm about to get on a plane or a rare situation. You know, most of the time you're texting with somebody and then something happens and you don't have, you don't have time to say like, I got to go. And so in particular, like texts that I'm having late at night with friends, it's, it's hard to know whether they went to sleep. Um, you know, you can often say something where, where it does feel like the other person is really thinking about it. Like the pause is them thinking about it before replying. But, Mm -hmm. but again, if that goes if that just keeps going and you're like, we've all learned a long time ago not to text someone and go, hello, or like, you know, don't nag. And at least, at least in my, in the text that I have with friends, because there's nothing worse than saying like, hello and getting a text back. That's like, yeah, I'm in the middle of dinner. You know, I'll text you later. Like you just have to, you just have to let the text hang but it happens a lot. And a lot of the time it's because I send a text that is not just a joke, but like something serious. Cause I love texting and I love texting about serious things. And, and it's causing me grief. It's causing me grief as much as Twitter causes me grief. Mm, that's a lot. Because I, what I'm, what I object to, what I don't like to do is talk on the phone. I don't like to talk on the phone at all. And why is it, why do you like podcasting? If you don't like talking on the phone, it's almost the same thing. You are right. Is it that with podcasting, there's an audience present or you know that there is an audience going to be present? No, it's because podcasting is on a schedule and I can't get out of it. I've committed to it (laughs) and I can't get out of it. Okay. So, I know that every day at 11 o'clock I have to go down and talk on, on a podcast. And so I am resigned to it. And I, and over time I'm like, I'm fine with it. I, I relish it. If I had a weekly phone call with every one of my friends mm-hmm. where 
It's like, oh, it's Tuesday at 6.30. I have to get on the phone with Hodgman. Uh, it would probably be great. It would probably work fine. And and um, and knowing the world as it is, we would probably record those conversations. And then Hodgman and I would have a podcast. Right. Uh, because why not? Why talk to anybody if you're not generating content? I think I right? that's that's uh, a lot of podcasts began that way. That hey, you know, this yeah. conversation we're having would be would be a good show, wouldn't it? Yeah, let's just record the next one and we'll just put it out there. Yeah, I mean, thank thanks to Merlin for you know. Right, the, I mean, that's the whole name Merlin, of that show is is that he's he's calling you and they're recording it. I think I've taught. I think I've talked before, but. You know, my friend Sean Nelson of Harvey Danger, when our relationship first started, like before he hired me to be in the band, um, he initiated a relationship with me at the, at the height of his fame because he said that he'd heard from people that he needed to get to know me. And I think it was just one of those things where Sean had a, Sean had a, um, and has a wide ranging intelligence, a very deep wit, but also a broad wit. He's got, um, he's educated in a hundred fields. He's polymathic. He's a great writer. He's brave in some ways and timid in others. And I think just in the course of his life, wandering around Seattle, he would get into exchanges with people and. And their takeaway would be like, you know, you should talk to John Roderick. And he heard it enough times that he actually like walked over to me at a party um, at, a, at a time when he was the biggest rock star in Seattle. I was like, you and I need to have lunch. And I was flattered by it. And I was flattered by it because he, I'd known about Sean for years before he was, before Harvey Danger got famous because he wrote for The Stranger. And he wrote the first blurb about about my band at the time the bun family players he wrote the first blurb and in a way the first blurb ever written about my music or anything that i did creatively i'd been in the newspaper a bunch as like gifted child uh you know saves tennis racket from fire whatever like uh there's always been little articles about it about me in school because the reporter come to, comes to school and says, is there a kid around here that, you know, would be good for this article? And the teachers say like, what about this kid? He saved a tennis racket from a fire. <laughs> so I knew, so Sean was legendary to me because he had done this wonderful thing. He had, he had written this article and we'd opened for Harvey Danger uh, at some point. Like I was very aware of him. And so he and I started going to lunch together. Oh, I'm sorry. We went to dinner and we went to Morton's Steakhouse because we were being fancy. He was fancy now. He had money. And there was something about our, our meetings that made us feel like we needed to be fancy because we were meeting, we were meeting to sit and talk like, um, like days of old, two artists in their twenties who were going to sit across a table for no, no other reason than to talk 
about the matters of the day, not we weren't planning anything. We didn't have a project. We were meeting explicitly to, um, to sit and like philosophize. And so we started going to Morton's and we were surrounded by all the assholes that go to Morton's. Mm -hmm. And it was when you, it was back when you could smoke in restaurants. So, and they sold cigar, they sold cigarettes at Morton's. Um, and we would get steaks and we would talk. And he was absolutely right, or whoever it was, whoever the Yentas were that matched us, <laughs> the invisible Yentas <laughs> in the world that knew us both. Um, because talking to him was a joy. It was just a delight. In a way, it was the first time in my life where I'd ever met somebody that really could hang in there. He knew every little thing that I referenced, he got it. And every little reference he made, I got. And so it was a kind of liberty to just talk the way that your mind wants to go. And that's since then, I've found a lot of friends like that in the world. Maybe not that know everything. I mean, I don't, I don't know everything that Merlin references. I, I, I can't imagine anyone who would. I cannot imagine anybody who could keep up with the references that pour out of Merlin. Yeah, there are ma many, many, many. We would like to say thank you very much to my friends over at Holus Bolus Winery. These guys are so awesome. I've actually known them for a while, and the stuff that they do, the wine that they make is amazing. They are independent wine for independent people. Pretty cool, right? They don't have any investors. They're not some kind of gigantic factory operation. Uh, the Holus Bolus Octopus, which is their part of their logo, I have, I have the T-shirt. It's just four arms and four legs of Amy and Peter, there's a husband and wife team. They love wine. They know wine and they want everyone's wine to be delicious and made by actual human beings, not spreadsheets, not corporate stooges. And when I say that this wine is made by people like it really is, it's just Peter and Amy. They farm five acres of their own vineyard, which they've named the Joy Fantastic. And it really is from their farm to your table. Everything that they've done has been built over time, just the two of them. They've reinvested any of the profits that they made over the years back into the winery until they could finally plant their own vineyard back in 2014. You know, they really know their stuff. Amy is a master of wine. This isn't just a term that I made up. There are 409 masters of wine on the planet, and only 52 of them are in the United States. And of those, only 18 are women and one of them is Amy, and she's out there picking the best grapes, making this awesome wine uh, for you guys. They do really, really great wine. Every grape in the bottle is grown in the Santa Rita Hills, Santa Maria Valley, California. So whether you go with their Pinot, their Chardonnay, their Syrah, it's all really great. <clears throat> now, they basically have two labels. One is named after the vineyard, the Joy Fantastic, and the other is after the winery, which is Holus Bolus. And uh, Holus Bolus wines, again, naturally made using native yeast, so they are vegan. No animal products are used, period. All their wines are bottled with low levels of sulfur, 
And, uh, and you can learn more by going to thejoyfantastic.com. Order yourself something for you or for your loved ones. It's a great gift for the holidays, which are coming up. And you always need a bottle of wine on the table, so why not make it a good one, you know? It's a special time. You can try one wine. You can get one of the Joy Fantastic three packs. You can join their wine club for either label. And uh, I, like I said, I have the T-shirt. They have a very cool octopus logo and, uh, and I, I love that shirt. So if you decide to become a wine club member, you're going to get 15% off every order. And guess what? Listeners of this show, Amy and Peter are giving you the awesome deal that you would get if you were in the wine club through December 31st. And you've got to use the code roadwork15 at checkout to get that. So thejoyfantastic.com, roadwork15 at checkout. And thanks so much to Holus Bolas for making this show possible. And 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 across a across a matrix of knowledge that Merlin has, and when when I first met Merlin, um, you know Mer, Merlin is as 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 we've all gotten older, we've all kind of pulled back from engaging in the culture of the moment. But when I first met Merlin, he was deeply engaged with the culture of the moment, in addition to having been engaged with the culture of the moment for decades. And so he could, he could turn on a dime. Like he just was spinning like a top. He had, he had, he was like the assassin bot from Mandalorian. <laughs> like there was no thing that was not in his peripheral vision. But with Sean, you know, Sean also has a kind of, he, he, he can be, he can be a, frenetic talker if he's nervous, but in situations like that, where he's a lazy, laconic conversationalist, we, um, we just had these long sort of yes and conversations. And at one point he brought a tape recorder and said, we're going to tape these, these conversations, you know, need to be preserved. It was before the, before podcast existed. He just had it in mind that he was going to take the transcript of these conversations and write my dinner with Andre. And of course, as soon as the tape recorder was on the table, we both clammed up. We had no idea. We were all of a sudden we were awkward. We were performing for the tape recorder. Like neither of us had any experience then. And I think there's something about being young and by young, I mean, in, in my case, I was in my late twenties. But we definitely had the feeling that kind of our words were important. You only get one chance to say it. And so it's got to be right. You've got to get it all in there. I mean, what the great thing about podcasting is it doesn't, it's not your only chance to say it. I've probably told this story three times. Mm -hmm. You get to say it again if you didn't get it right, or you get to say it, you get to put a different spin on it. You don't have to get it right the first time. And that allows you to just sort of go. And I've told this story three times, but every time coming from a different place and headed to a different place. So our conversation totally dried up so much so that it was clear to us both like, don't bring that tape recorder again. That's, <laughs> that's a bad, that's bad. 
And what's weird about it is that of all the people I know, even including Merlin, Sean Nelson should have had a podcast, should have had a podcast from the very dawn of it because he's, he was born to do it. Absolutely, absolutely capable of sitting and talking for an hour a week or an hour a day about pretty much anything and it would be entertaining and funny and smart. But he, when I first started doing Roderick on the line, I went to him and said, you know, you need to do a podcast. We should do a podcast. And he demurred. And then I went to him in 2012 and said, you know, you need to do a podcast. You could do it about, you could do record reviews. You could do anything about music or art or just, and he was like, well, it's a little too late. Don't you think? I mean, isn't podcasting like kind of at its peak? I don't want to be somebody that gets in late in the game. And I was like, I don't know. It's, you know, 2012. It feels like there's still a place for a Sean Nelson podcast. And I think every year after that, I've talked to him about it and he has said no. And a part of it is that, um, that he feels like there's not room for any more podcasts and he doesn't want to be a late bandwagon jumper. But also I think that he, he thinks back to that tape recorder on the table and he's worried that, that the same thing will happen, that the, the mics will go on and it'll just be like, not as funny, not as good. And I, I don't know that for certain he, you know, he has a, he and I have a relationship that's very much like two competing brothers. The, you know, I think of it as being sort of like the Wahlberg brothers <laughs> where the, the oldest one was a huge star, a massive star. Yeah. And then the younger one came up and, and, uh, became an even bigger star. And the older one sort of didn't never transitioned away from being a new kids on the block. It's so funny that Donnie Wahlberg didn't somehow find a way as his, as his younger brother just, just rocketed past him, find a way to pivot somehow. I mean, I guess he's been in a movie or something, but like how different could it be? They look, they look alike, you know? And that's not a that's not an analog to my relationship with Sean because neither of us are really anywhere close to the talent the the pure distilled talent of the, Wahlberg. the Wahlbergs. No, no, no. But just the dynamic of like two brothers who are in competition with one another, mm -hmm. and so you know that, that may play into it too. He's definitely never taken the bait or never taken the invitation to do a podcast with me. And I think I'm the most prominent podcaster in his in the world. orbit in the world, in the world. Yep. But I have my, this relationship to texting. I need to resolve Dan because it, hurts my friendships. <laughs> sure. 
it makes my friendships worse. Like you send me texts all the time that I, um, just kind of like, I do, I, I very I, seldom ignore give you is the word you're you looking need. for. Ignore yeah. is the word you're searching. I don't for. give you what you need, right? You send me a text. Well, I, you send what me I a need is a response of any, of any kind. Exactly. Exactly. And I, you know, there are so many texts I don't reply to. And all of those failures to reply are also messages. They're text messages. They're just text messages of that, that's so confusion and discontent and sorrow. Uh, and it's hard for me to say something, you know, I'm, I'm often trying to get myself to put my phone down. I bought an Apple watch with the idea that I would leave my phone at home and I, the watch would just be there when I needed, when somebody needed me, but it would not be an interface that was fun to interact with. Mm -hmm. But to, and I fail at that all the time and I haven't worn my Apple watch in months and I, I set time limits on my, on my phone so that things like games and social media would shut down after 45 minutes. And then right around the election, I, started just ignoring those time limits because it was like, look, I'm not getting off Twitter right now. Sorry. Sorry, phone, that only two weeks ago I set this time limit on, but that's not happening today. And now it's just, it's so the time limit thing pops up and I just say, not today. Get behind me, Satan. <laughs> uh -huh. But to have a similar, to have a similar thing with texting where it's like, you know what this is good for? It's good for making plans. It's good for saying, I'll be there at four. It's good for saying, can you pick up some milk on the way home? But it is not the medium for reaching out. It's just not the medium to say, hey, how's it going? Because it just invites too much chaos. Even something as simple as, hey, how's it going? The more interested in a reply you are, the more risk you're taking when you send that text. Mm -hmm. You know, my mom and I send texts all the time. I, she, you know, she sends me a text and she's like, will you bring the rake? And I go, yes. Uh -huh. uh, I have a, you know, I have a thing here that I need you to look at. And then she writes back and she goes, what, what was the name of the cat that lived across the street from us when we lived in shoreline. And I say, Oh, that was, you know, Bowser, the cat. And mm -hmm. she's like, right, 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 right. You know, we send texts like that back and forth all the time. There's hardly any confusion between us. And yet my mom also will say, if I don't reply to her text, she'll text me an hour later and go see above text. Mm -hmm. Like she does not let me not reply to a text. But the, if I write a mom. text, it's your somebody, mom though. It's my mom. Right. If I write a text to somebody that says, Hey, how's it going? If it's somebody that I really, cause there's so many situations in my life and I don't know if this is true of yours or of other people's, but like I have a lot of ongoing relationships, ongoing relationships that never feel resolved to me. Like even my relationship with Hodgman, which is 14 years old now, it's not, it's not clear, right? I mean, 
at a, at a certain level, it's clear, like we'll be friends forever. But at, at another level, like he started that show with David Reese, Dick town. And I sort of vaguely knew they were working on something, but it's not like he and I were texting back and forth and he was saying, Hey, you know, I'm working on this thing with David. Like I, I wasn't invited to participate. I'm not one of the, the guest stars. I learned about it when everybody else in the world learned about it, when it came out. Right. And that's not unusual in the sense that I'm working on stuff and I'm not talking to Hodgman about it. We don't talk every day. But at the same time, it felt a little bit like, oh, hey, congratulations, you guys. Like, I'm friends with both of them. There's every reason why they would have at some point asked me to be on the show, and they didn't. And that's because between the two of them, they probably have 80 people that they could ask to be on the show, and they only had 15 slots. But that is all just the sort of groundwork of explaining that when I send Hodgman a text, the week that Dicktown comes out or the week that I've become aware of it, I send him a text that's like, Hey, how's it going? That text is loaded with feeling. Mm -hmm. And I am, it is not innocent, right? I'm, it's not like, Hey, how's it going? It's like, hey, how's it going? Hey there. And so to get a reply like, great, how's it going with you? You know, like that is also loaded. And that's true of so many of my communications with people, right? Like Ken and I text back and forth every day, but the elephant in the room is how much does he know about the intentions of the producers of Jeopardy to make him the host or not the host that he is not telling me because a, he's under a non-disclosure agreement. Right. And he, and even though we are in one another's coronavirus bubble and I see him every week of his life, he still excludes me from the NDA in his, in his mind or in his circle mind. How much of it is he not telling me because he's a Mormon and he's just incredibly reticent about things and that he, because there are things that I learned later, he didn't tell his wife, you know, there are things about like when he finally won Jeopardy or whatever, or when he finally lost or something like some of that stuff, he didn't tell, he didn't tell his wife until later. Really? Like his kids didn't know that he had won the goat until they sat and watched it on TV together. Meaning that he won that contest in January. I'm sorry. He won that contest in, in December. I mean, I, I watched it, <coughs> but it, <clears throat> but it didn't air until I don't remember when, but much later, right? February. Yeah. I don't, I don't know how long it did, but I know there's a big delay. But that entire time, he was living in his house with his two teenage kids and didn't tell them whether he'd won or not. 
No, well, I, I mean, mean it's I'm, amazing. I'm, I'm sure that there's part of the agreement is that he can't talk about it, and I'm sure that there have been a lot of people in secret, you know, secret organizations, whether it's you know spy stuff or whatever, who can't who can't talk about it, or scientists who are making the atomic bomb and can't come home and tell their wife about it, you know, that kind of thing. But I mean, right. it, and, could he and, have not told his wife about it? Uh, no, I'm sure he had to have told her. Um, but, but by way of saying, I, I know that, I know that we're, that when I'm not read into the details of every single, you know, little thing that my friends are doing, I know that it's not personal, but it often feels personal and it's because I'm trying to transact those relationships via text. If I if I had called John and said, hey, how's it going? And he had said, fine, man, how's it going? Good to hear from you. And I had said, what's going on with Dicktown? That's exciting. Well, it would have been a conversation. We would have had it. He would have told me everything that's going on. There might have been there might have been a little ghost in the room where I didn't say, how come you didn't ask me to do it? But it would have been resolved in the, in the, in conversation, John is very considerate. He probably would have said, Hey, you know, I'm sorry. We didn't, we didn't ask you to be in it, but you know, there were a lot of people that didn't, that we didn't get. And, um, you know, maybe season two, you know, it would have just been a typical thing. But in the absence of that phone call, all of those questions just sort of, they all marched up to the door of the, of the, uh, the C 47, but none of them jumped out, you know, none of them hooked their parachute cords onto the, onto the guide wire and the light never turned green and they never jumped. So I've got a C 47 full of paratroopers. That's just flying out over, uh, Western France. Somehow it never runs out of gas, just flies forever. And I have so many of those planes in the air. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Now with Ken, I know that this question is going to be resolved. One day there's going to be an announcement. And if it, if I learn about it on, if I learn that he either is or isn't the host of Jeopardy by reading it on Twitter, there will be a little bit of me that's like mad, but it's not. Ken and I aren't romantic, right? These questions, if you, if you plug them into a romantic relationship, and I mean either, I mean both a sexual one and also one that is maybe not sexual, but romantic, like the one I have with Hattie, right? Like Hattie and I don't have a sexual relationship, but it's a deeply romantic one. When she writes me and says, here are the ads coming up for this week's road work. <laughs> uh-huh. I'm like, just the way that you email me about that, Hattie is just, I, I sit, I wait for your, I wait for your, ma- your mails. I don't even think she knows I exist, frankly. <laughs> no, she does. She does. But when you put all those, all that extra weight on stuff uh-huh. and you text somebody and say like, how's it going? Right. 
And what you really mean by that is like, do you love me? Will you love me forever? <laughs> Why haven't you responded? And they write back and they're like, fine. <laughs> How are you? And you're like, ah, I mean, they replied. So that's good. But I can't tell if they love me. You write back and go, things are good. You know, like what's, what's up? Not much, you know, like that stuff. It's just, it's just terrible. And, and it precipitates problems for me because then I try to, I try to probe and texting is bad for that. And if I just called them, if I just called them like we used to do, Hey, hi, just calling to say hi, just checking in. And then you talk and you, if you decide in the course of the conversation to be like, you know, I've been thinking about you and just, or if you don't, if you're just, if you really are just there to hear one another's voices, like all that stuff is, is natural. And when you can get in trouble on a phone call too, but every text I send, Dan is fraught with peril. I see that. But I don't know if I can get, I don't know if I can get that needle out of my veins. I sure as shit don't want to call somebody. God. Ugh. Ugh. Why? 